So the last couple of weeks, as we've been looking through this letter to the Colossians, we've been, we've been looking at how Paul is addressing very specific roles in the household, all right? And, and how those truths apply to our modern context, we've been kind of making those, uh, those parallels as well. So, so far, he's addressed wives, husbands, parents, children, uh, fathers, right? And the last, the last two people that he addresses in this section of his letter are probably not what you would expect, at least not when you're thinking about your home life. So we have to kind of take some time this morning, uh, starting off, to really understand the ancient world, right, and this context in which Paul is writing this letter 2,000 years ago to the Roman province of Palestine and, and uh, up into the Greece area, right, and Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. That whole area was ruled by the Roman Empire. And so the Apostle Paul is writing in a very particular context. But what I hope we can see today is that the truths that were true then are true now, right? God's truth is always true, whether it was 2,000 years ago or today. But some of the context, of course, changes. So it's a little tricky today. So what I want us to do, let's read verses 22 through 25, uh, and then actually chapter 4, verse 1 as well. Uh, and then we're going to kind of talk about this ancient world and then how it transitions to the modern world. All right, so here we go. Verse 22, Paul says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. All right, so let's talk about the ancient world briefly so we can understand this and move to a modern uh, parallel here. So the, uh, the ESV study Bible, well, that's, that's the one that I typically recommend for people to use, and it's really good. So it translates that word as bondservant. So the NIV actually uses the word slave, and you may have other variations in whatever translation of English that you're looking at today. But I preach from the ESV study, uh, from the ESV Bible, and the study notes in that Bible say this, a bondservant was someone in the Roman Empire officially bound under contract to serve his master for seven years. When the contract expired, the person was freed given his wage that had been saved by the master and officially declared a freedman. They were considered an integral part of the family. And interestingly, it says this kind of servitude slowly died out in antiquity through the influence of Christianity. So this is tricky for us because... In our modern minds, I want, I want us to understand that what we're reading about today, this relationship and this system 
where bond servants would serve their masters in the Roman Empire. Uh, back then, that was very common. It was very normal and common to go to a household and see some kind of servant serving the people of that house under some kind of seven-year contract, but also earning wages and being, being freed at the end of that. And this was also, this had nothing to do with race. This had everything to do with socioeconomic burden, right, in some kind of way. So here's what I want us to understand, though, in our modern world and in our modern mindset. I want us to know and understand that this is not, right, what we're reading about in the Roman Empire in this context that Paul's addressing. This is not the same thing as the horrific an evil and wicked institution of slavery in North America over centuries past. The Bible clearly condemns any form of, of human trafficking and dehumanization. That is clearly condemned. There is no excuse for any of that evilness in the world. But what we're looking at here is not that. So please understand this. In fact, the very fact, and I want you to see this, the very fact that Paul addresses these bondservants working in these Roman households shows that he values the image of God in them just as much as anyone. This is what's very interesting to see here. He encourages them to gain their freedom, if possible, and to not even enter into a bondservant contract, if possible. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 7.21, so a different letter he wrote. But look what he said there. He said, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. And then later on in verse 23, he says, do not become bondservants of men. So do you see how revolutionary this is? The Apostle Paul is writing with a Christian understanding of all people, that all people are made in the image of God. It was unheard of for someone to write a letter to take the time in that letter to speak directly to the servants of a household. So Paul is showing us here that their lives matter. They are no less than their masters in God's eyes. Because why is this true? The gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to everyone as equals. Because we are all created in the image of God. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter your ethnic background. It doesn't matter where you live now or where you have lived before. We are all created by one creator, God, who loves every person. The gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to everyone as equals because we are all in desperate need of rescuing. We all need rescuing from our slavery to sin. And that's why Jesus came to earth, to rescue and save us from our own sin, from ourselves. So the wickedness and the brokenness and the, unjust, the injustice we see in this world is not of God. But... Paul addresses this situation in that ancient world very carefully, very tactfully. Now, here's where this is challenging for us today, all right? I'm, you're, I'm about to make a big leap here, so bear with me, all right? 
In today's world, and I'm speaking specifically to us in this room in 21st century America, right, in the year 2023, there are some truths in this context that Paul's talking about to these bondservants and their masters. There's some truths there, some principles, we should say, right? There's some principles that we can apply to our modern world and specifically in the modern workplace. Now, I know you're thinking, wow, this is quite the leap here. I understand, I understand, but I think this is good. I think this is right. I think this is fair to take the truth and the principles that Paul's addressing in this situation here and transition to the modern world in terms of the employer-employee relationship, your workplace relationship. There's actually some really, really good stuff here. And that's, that's what I want us to focus on today for the purpose of this particular sermon. So here's what I want us to see today. First of all, let's say, let's say something about Christian employees, all right? If you are working uh, in the labor force out there today, this is for you. Work for Christ and his kingdom first. That's really what Paul is saying to these bond servants serving the ancient household in these families, right? He's saying work for Christ and his kingdom first first, right? And that is exactly what we should do as well. So notice how closely, notice how closely verse 23 here relates back to Paul's summary statement back in verse 17. So look at verse 23 first. You can look on the screen. Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Now, a few verses earlier in verse 17, what did he say? It sounds very similar, doesn't it? He says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in other words, Paul is saying every part of our lives should be in alignment with God and his kingdom. We should center our priorities at home and in the workplace and everywhere we go around Christ and serving him. We work for the kingdom of God. If you follow Jesus Christ, ultimately that is who you work for. Now, this may be a revolutionary idea for some of us who've never thought of it this way before, right? Because when you wake up tomorrow morning, right, on Monday morning, I mean, how many of you are going to dread going to your job, right? Just quick show of hands, okay? Now, y'all see, you're not going to lie in church. I understand, but maybe you are, right? Uh, Kyle, put your hand down. No, I'm just kidding. He's not even back there. I'm just teasing. Uh, <laughs> obviously, we have a playground now, so he's good. So here's the deal, right? I get it. Work can be frustrating, okay? But what if, what if as Christians, right, we wake up, every morning and we have and we meditate on this thought. My work is first and foremost for the Lord today. I mean, do you think that would change your perspective? Right? Do you think that would change your attitude? Do you think that would change the way you treat your coworkers and your boss or those who, sub- or those who report to you, right? Of course, It will. If we really take the time to meditate and ponder this thought, my work is ultimately not for me. Ultimately, it is for the Lord and his kingdom today. See, look what Paul said in verse 22. He says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. And here's the key phrase, doing what? 
fearing the Lord, right? So in other words, if we fear the Lord, we will not fear man. Now let's talk about that word fear, right? When you see fear the Lord in the scriptures, that doesn't mean that you're afraid like he's some kind of monster. That's not it. It means a reverent awe and respect for who God is as an authority, the ultimate authority over your life. All right, so that's what that word fear means. It means you are submitting to God as the ultimate authority over yourself. All right, and that's not easy to do, but the Bible's very clear all throughout. If we fear the Lord, that is the proper way to live, right? Submission to his authority. But if we fear the Lord, then we will not fear man. We will not fear people, right? In other words, if our submission is first and foremost to Jesus and his kingdom and we respect his authority, then we realize we work for him first and then that fear of the Lord will alleviate that fear of man, which leads to the things Paul said, people pleasing, right? I mean, how much of your work is people pleasing, right? If you're super brutally honest with yourself, wherever you work, wherever your place of employment is, how much of that is motivated by trying to just make other people happy or, or trying to make other people think that you are something great, right? That you're a hard worker or a special person or whatever, right? Or maybe that, maybe you just do things sometimes at your work to get noticed, perhaps for a promotion. And so, you know, when the boss isn't looking, you're on your phone looking at Facebook, but as soon as they're watching, you're like, oh, I'm stacking everything up and making everything look great, right? That's people pleasing. That's the way of eye service, Paul says. But look what he says in verse 23. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So listen, hey, this applies to any kind of job, right? Any kind of career, any kind of task within your job, your place of employment, right? So maybe you're a school teacher, maybe you're a nurse, maybe you're a mechanic, maybe you're an engineer, maybe uh, you work in IT or perhaps in a restaurant. It doesn't matter where you work, whether you work from home or in an office building or spend most of your time commuting from place to place, Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you work for, whoever you work for, work heartily for the Lord. Let's dig even deeper though. Why is this so important for Christians to understand? Because here's what we believe. We believe the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change individual hearts But you know what happens over time as the gospel is changing people? Guess what else is changing? Society. Oh yeah, we believe that. We believe that the key to changing a society is for people's hearts to be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that God has the power to do that. So let's go backward pretty far here in history. God gave the first human, Adam, right? He gave him this commission to work before sin entered the human race. Look at Genesis chapter two, verse 15, the second chapter of the entire story of God. What did God do? Keep in mind, this is before sin entered the human race. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Adam was a gardener right? That's what his job was. He was a gardener. Now, listen, before sin entered the world, 
I think there was probably lots of relatively easy produce in the Garden of Eden, right? He probably, I mean, he had to work. I want to keep that in mind. He had to work, right? But there weren't thorns and thistles and there just weren't, you know, a lot of the labor and the pain that comes along with it. But after sin entered the world, guess what? It became a much harder job to produce, right? For things to grow properly. Now, some of you have tried to plant uh, gardens in your backyards and you know what I'm talking about, right? You spend this money, right? You think, hey, I'm going to grow my own food. And you spend this money and, uh, you know, you don't tell your HOA about it, right? And you, and you plant this thing in your backyard and, and you, you spend all this time and this money and all this effort watering and tending to it. And then you have to wait six months for one tomato, right? <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's a good tomato though. You really enjoy, you enjoy that one tomato, right? Well, listen, you have Adam essentially to thank for that, right? Because when sin entered the world, it becomes a very hard task. Work becomes more difficult in many ways because of sin, but we still need to see that it is so important for Christians to understand God gave the first human a job, right? To take care of the good creation and resources that God has blessed us with, right? So part of God's design for this world is for all humans created in his image to work, to build thriving societies that honor God and glorify God. That is part of the job. So that means we need Christians in every field and in every part of society who are seeking with all their might and all their passion and energy and skill sets who are seeking to glorify God, who are seeking to glorify Him by working for the betterment of others, by inspiring others to know and love God through, through your work, no matter what you do. You know what we need? We need Christians in the medical field to care for those who are suffering and who seek to help others live healthy lives. We need Christians in the tech industry who seek to leverage their skills and influence to promote kingdom values. We need Christians in the public school system to help kids get a good education so they can grow up and know how to contribute to a thriving society. We need Christians who work in restaurants and share the love of Christ with every single person they serve to be a light to them, to encourage them in their day so that they can come in contact perhaps with them again. We, know, we need Christians in local, state, and federal government jobs who seek to help create neighborhoods and cities where people can flourish. And the list goes on and on and on. But do you see, do you see it? This is an amazing opportunity for the people of God to use and leverage our work for His glory. I want you to understand, though, what we don't need. What we don't need is more Christian bubbles where we all huddle together because we're tired of dealing with the world. We don't need to become reclusive and, and just keep backing away further from the world. No, we need Christians in the world. <laughs> we can't just isolate ourselves from the world in our own little Christian circle and then point at the world and complain all the time if we're not willing to engage the lost world for Christ. 
No, we need Christians engaging in secular workforce in the world through their work, using their platforms and positions to be a witness of God's very own character, to be an example of God's creativity, to show people's God's love and goodness, and ultimately to point people to Jesus Christ, the one and only hope for mankind. Paul gets more specific, though. He gets very specific about Christ's role in our work in verse 24. It's a, short, it's a short verse here, but it's important. Look what he says. He says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. The inheritance. Not, not an inheritance. No, the inheritance. As your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. See, this is so good. The, the real reward the real reward for any Christian in the world's labor force, it's not money. I mean, maybe in your mind you think I work for money. And why do you work for money? Because money buys the things that I want. And the things that I want make me feel secure. And the things that I think that I want and think that I need make me feel better about my life. And then I start comparing myself to, myself to others. And if I have a little more than they have, then I must be a better person some way. Oh, you know we think that way. That's natural. But it's not right. And the Lord says, right? He says in his word through Paul, Paul says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. You see, what Paul is saying here is our true, our true security rests in our future eternal inheritance that is secured by Christ himself. The reason we can work for Jesus Christ and his kingdom is because He worked for us. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Look at this on the screen with me. Jesus himself says this. He says, for even even the Son of Man, he's referring to himself as the Son of Man, God in the flesh. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, listen, judge me as you wish, but I did wake up early yesterday morning with my wife to watch the coronation of King Charles, okay? (laughs) All right, again, judge me however you want to, all right? But it's interesting, okay? It's very interesting. But you know what? I really did find it very interesting because as I was watching the coronation of King Charles, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure at least twice, at least twice, they referenced that verse, about Charles, right? That Charles, he came not to be served, but to serve, right? Of course, they're relating that to the example of Christ, that Charles would follow in that way. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, tell that to the staff at Buckingham Palace, right? Who has to wash his dishes and, you know, make sure he's comfortable, right? But you know what I just couldn't help but think about? Aren't you glad that we serve a different kind of king? That Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, really, seriously, truly came not to be served, but to serve and ultimately by giving up his life as a ransom for you. Philippians 2, Paul expounds on this. He says in verses 4 through 8, he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, in other words, to be taken advantage of, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the worst imaginable form of torture in the Roman Empire, a cross. See, Jesus did the work that we couldn't do. Jesus does the work that we can't do. He gave up the wealth of heaven to come to earth and live as a servant to all, as a servant in full obedience to God, the Father, in our place. Do you see that? Do you understand that today? As we're talking about work, we must look to the example of Christ himself, first and foremost, for the basis of all hope and meaning and purpose in our lives. Jesus Christ came to earth to live the perfect life that you and I try so hard to live, but we can't. And we fail miserably over and over again. But how great is the love of God that he sent his only son to this earth to do what we can't. In your place as your substitute, he lived a life of serving others. Jesus lived a life of putting the interest of others before his own, which ultimately led to his death. But it was a voluntary death, you know? Like he didn't have to die. He voluntarily laid down his life. And what I mean is he didn't, he could have resisted. He could have overcome them. He's the king of the universe. He could have called down legions of angels to rescue and save him and defeat the Roman Empire, but he didn't. He voluntarily laid down his life to pay the penalty of our sin. By his death, Jesus died in your place to pay the debt of sin that we each owe to God and we try to work and pay off, but we can't. We've all worked so hard to build our own lives. We've all worked so hard to maximize our wealth and our comfort. We all work so hard to chase after the things that we think we need to be happy. See, most of us, we don't mind working really. We're just working for ourselves. But the amazing truth of God is that Jesus did not work for himself. He worked for you. So that we could get the inheritance that lasts forever in his kingdom. So when we take the time to reflect on who we really are as children of God, as followers of Christ... And the heavenly kingdom that awaits us, the inheritance that awaits you, you know what that does when you spend time thinking on this and chewing on that and meditating on that? It really does free you to work for God's glory and not your own in wherever your job is and whatever you do. It frees you to do that. Because what we begin to understand is that now, you know what, now I don't need to be a people pleaser. I don't have to fake my way through this. I can genuinely, even if I don't love the task itself, even if I don't love my boss, right? I can still work for the glory of God with a good attitude 
with a proper motivation, knowing that I can make a difference in other people's lives through the work I'm doing, no matter what it is or how menial I think it may be in my mind. Our priorities change. When we surrender to this mindset of Christ, our priorities change, our ambitions change direction and become more focused on helping others succeed when we realize that we already have everything we could ever need or want in Christ and His kingdom. Even if we're wronged somehow in the workplace, even if you're passed over for a promotion that you should have gotten, or we don't receive fair treatment somehow at our job, we can know that even in those moments, we can know that God is the ultimate judge. We don't have to seek some kind of unholy retribution, right? God will judge all people, and we must answer ultimately to Him. And that, that's what Paul's saying here in verse 25. Look what he says. He says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality, right? With God, there is no favoritism. He doesn't show favoritism, and nor should we. Nor should we expect to be shown favoritism in the workplace. Finding, finding security in Christ frees us to see everyone as equals, no matter where we may fall in the world's system and no matter what step of the corporate ladder you may be on. In God's eyes, we are all the same. We are all created equally in His image. We must treat others this way. So Paul wraps this section up with a word that we can contextualize in our modern society and call employers or leaders, all right? So first of all, you Christian employees, what are you going to do tomorrow, right? And the day after that, and the day after that, you're going to work first for the Lord, right? For the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Can we do that? All right, now let's move on. What if you're an employer? What if you're a leader of some sort? What should your task be? Well, to model the servant leadership of Christ, right? We've already talked about and explained his servant leadership, but let's, let's look at this closer. Chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So again, in our modern context, we're talking today. In other words, if you are an employer or if you are someone else's boss or uh, you manage a team of people in some way, Listen, you are not the be-all and end-all of your employees or the people who report to you, all right? Here's, this, here's the amazing thing that Paul points out. If someone reports to you at your workplace, guess what? You know what you have here? You have an amazing opportunity. You have such a beautiful opportunity to reflect God's characteristics to the people who are looking to you to lead them. What an amazing opportunity you have to exhibit justice and fairness in the workplace just as God does to us. You have an amazing opportunity to model the love of Christ, to set an example for others to see. If you're a leader in here today, you are submitting to God's authority as you lead. And as you lead others, guess what? If they see you submitting ultimately to God's authority, the pathway becomes a lot clearer for you to one day hopefully lead them to faith in Jesus. Because your actions speak. The way you lead others, you have a, I'm telling you, it's, it's very risk-reward, isn't it? It's risky in the sense that if you don't lead them with the character and love of Christ, 
and they find out that you're a Christian or they know where you go to church or whatever, what damage, what damage does that do to the kingdom of God? The gospel. But you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to show them the characteristics of God himself, injustice and fairness. You have an opportunity to show them forgiveness. You have an opportunity to show them the love of Jesus himself. You have an opportunity, in other words, to model that servant leadership of Christ. Think of, think of how he led others. We see in the scriptures by service, by sacrifice, right? I mean, if Jesus was tired, he didn't, he didn't shoo the crowds away. He didn't do that, right? What did he do? He fed them. If he was tired and he, and he was physically just tired and wanted to go home and go to sleep himself, no, he stayed and he fed the crowds. He healed the crowds. On the night before he would be arrested unjustly, he gathered with his disciples. And you know what he did? In that upper room on that Thursday night, Jesus knelt down and did the work of a slave. You see, back in those days, people didn't wear tennis shoes, right? Just sandals or maybe Crocs, right? I don't know, right? But either way, their feet were dirty, right? Their feet were gross. Can you only can imagine, right? No paved streets. I mean, you're walking in, you know, places where cows and you get the picture, right? So point is, people's feet were gross. So it was a very practical reason for washing feet when you entered someone's home. You didn't want to track all that nasty stuff in their house, right? So a slave or a servant would wash someone's feet. And what do we see happening? Jesus Christ himself kneeling down and washing all the nasty gook off of all those men's nasty feet. Because he was showing them what real leadership looks like. It's not sitting on a throne, looking down, telling others what to do. It's kneeling down before them and showing them the way, the way of love, the way of sacrifice. Jesus is the leader of the universe, doing the work of a servant to show his followers what true love looks like, to show the world that the kingdom of God operates differently. Do you see that? It's different than this world system. The King, Jesus, has come not to be served, but to serve. And as his followers, we have an opportunity to do the same. We must show the world that the way up is down. That not through power or coercion, but through humility and service, we exemplify the goodness of God. In your workplace, Christian, Follower of Jesus, your workplace, whether you love it or not, is the prime space, the prime opportunity to display this truth to everyone around you. It really is. Don't underestimate that. So here's the challenge, Kernan Church. Here's the challenge for us. Listen, at this church, we love our city. We love Jacksonville, Florida. And we want our city to thrive. We want to work for the betterment of others around us. So look at the opportunity we have. And I'm being serious. Look around the room. I mean, all of us tomorrow are going to disperse, 
right today, right? Today after the service, we're going to disperse and go back to our homes. And then tomorrow, for those of you who are working in some kind of work environment, right? It could be at home. It could be in an office building, like I said, or commuting, wherever. We're going to go to so many different places around this city. This city is going to be crawling, so to speak, with current church members working their jobs. And look at the gospel opportunity you have. Look at the impact that can be made, really. This isn't hopeful, wishful thinking in the clouds. This is real, boots on the ground work. That we have an opportunity, each of us, individually, where you work, to show people who you really work for, Jesus Christ, the servant of all. Man, that's great. That's so good for us to understand Don't neglect this truth. Listen, I understand it's hard. Maybe you've been struggling with your attitude about your job, right? I mean, in a room this size with this many people, I know there are people who are struggling seriously. And I don't, I don't, I do not mean to underestimate the difficulty at your work right now. I don't know your personal situation, but I understand it can be really seriously challenging. But maybe you are struggling with your attitude about your job. Listen, my encouragement to you is how how can you leverage? your workplace for the glory of God. Think of it through those lens tomorrow, through your attitude, through your work ethic, through your productivity. And maybe we do need to spend some time praying today. Maybe if that's you, spend some time in prayer here just in a moment and and just confess, confess to God. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for the attitude I've had at my work. I'm sorry for the, the opportunities I've missed to truly shine your love and your light to others. I'm sorry, Lord, that I have not seen my job as an opportunity to truly bring others to you. The Lord loves when we confess our sin to him because it shows that we want to change. It shows that we know we need him and we're not trying to do it by ourselves. Confess that to the Lord this morning. Church, let's work hard. Let's be good, hard workers so that we can point others to the one who worked for us and brought us us, that ultimate inheritance, the reward of eternal life. So like we've been following every sermon in this series, asking this question, is Christ enough? Yes. His work motivates our work.